0: It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, with certified financial planners Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory.
1: The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel
2: University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being with us, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the show. With me in the KFG studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory.
0: Our national debt was already expanding, and then the coronavirus pandemic hit, and that caused it to the debt to really balloon and expand in ways we couldn't even imagine. So should you be worried about the national debt in the U.S.? And what are the potential implications to you and your financial situation? That and more this hour of Wise Money. I uh, have a quick question. Have
2: you taken an acid this morning? If not, feel free. Take a moment right now and just go ahead and grab some Tums or something like that, and then we'll get into it. If you have a question for the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us online, wisemoneyradio.com. Submit a question right there. You can also call or text 574 2000 that's 574 2000 Most of the interaction from fans of the show happens on the YouTube channel and on social media. You can submit questions there as well. Just go to wherever you're at in social media and search the Wise Money Show. You'll find us there. Like us, follow us, and rate the show. We appreciate that. So, all right. there is this This is the thing. I've been fixated on this idea of modern monetary theory. Emphasis on the theory part. Exactly. That's (laughs) turning into reality, which basically means that the government should should be—helicopter money should exist at all times, that we shouldn't worry about the national debt, and that we should pump a lot of money into the system. And we're pre-recording this right now, so I don't know what's happened just recently or by the time you're listening to this, but even recently, Mark Cuban said, we should be sending every American— every American $1,000 every two weeks and force them to spend it. And they've got to return it. If they don't spend it, they can spend it on whatever they want. Let's just keep have the government just keep giving people money, 1000 bucks every two weeks. This is craziness. It's mind-boggling. But that
0: sounds like a Cuban idea. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so listen, should we be worried about the national debt? What are we at? $26 trillion. And as a, as, as a connection to our GDP, at least the numbers I'm looking at from thebalance.com, the good folks over there, that's 136% of our GDP. Uh, re- record level, right? Yeah.
1: Never seen a level like this before. And, um, man, I, I struggle because it's it's tempting. Like, I, I look at this from two different angles. I, I know what the academics say and all the economists and the politicians that listen to them but then there's common sense too right i mean if if you applied the same logic to your own personal finances your uh, own household
2: i'm going to stop you right there because that's like in the introductory paragraph of modern monetary theory is you can't treat it like your own personal budget right oh my goodness but, but i don't
1: know i i think our listeners it, it's difficult to hear about how much borrowing our government is doing and not think Man, I can't get away with that in my own household. I mean, if if you think about your your family finances right now, intuitively, do you believe that there is some level of debt that if if you cross this threshold, you're in danger zone? Like you've gone too far with the debt, whether that's credit card debt, car loans, your mortgage is too big, whatever. But intuitively, isn't there a point where you've just gone too far? And, and I hope you've never actually crossed that line or, or you don't know many people around you that have, but most of us do. We've seen what kind of carnage that can create in a household because when you borrow money, you are held accountable to that debt. You have to pay it back, mm-hmm. right? And yet you look at what's happening at a national level and it's, it's hard to make an argument that there's any intention of paying this back.
2: Yeah, I mean, so it's, if it's 136 percent, and by the way, the last time, I mean, so it's been over 100 uh, percent for a while now, um, but the last time prior to, you know, this time period, last time it was above 100 was World War II, mm-hmm. which you could justify all the government spending. We're trying to, you know, it, 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 protect the country, protect our our citizens, and really, in a, in a way, protect the world, and yet now... That's, I guess that's where I'm going, Josh. If the 136% is where we're currently at, what what's the level where it's too much? Yeah. And how would you even how would you even decide that?
1: I, I'm remembering back to 2008, 2009, 2010 during the last crisis. Wasn't you know weren't all the articles and all the 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 thought leaders saying, boy, if we get up over 100%. You know, we're, we're crossing a certain line here.
2: Yes, I remember that clearly. And now we're so far above
1: it. Yeah. Right? Uh, th- there's another measure here. Uh, so we're talking about the total national debt right now at $26 trillion, give or take, a few hundred billion right depending on the second that you listen to this exactly (laughs) but it uh some people track um the public debt which is just a different label for a slightly different number that's the amount of debt that we owe to other people because some of our national debt is kind of owed internally to ourselves to different programs and everything and a lot of economists have said that if our public debt what we owe to other people Exceeds seventy-seven percent of our of our economic size, our GDP. We often refer to it as. Then we've crossed a threshold, and we've we have crossed that threshold. Where are we at? 79? Seventy-nine point something, or rather.
2: I'm looking at that that geeky projection here, uh, and it's projecting out over the next ten years that that could reach a hundred and twenty-five percent. Yeah, I'm looking at a at a J.P. Morgan forecast. That's unbelievable. So how much is too much? I mean, you could say one one uh, the filter is working today, Kevin. you are this we're talking <laughs> government, we're talking debt. I mean two of the two of the things you're very passionate about and you've just been silent. But I'll tell you, one governor could be, well, what are the interest payments on these things? And the bigger the, the bigger the debt, the bigger the payment, right? Now we can just continue to print more money to pay the interest. But then you've got this, uh, I think in, in reality, they they would call that the debt spiral. Mm-hmm. So um, that'd be
1: like you paying your credit card bill
2: by using another credit card each month. And did I say the debt spiral? I meant the, the death spiral. Yeah. I mean, there's no coming back from that. And yeah. we're
0: just about there. We're on the brink. Yeah, so Warren Mosler came up with the modern monetary theory. Um, and so I, I look at this and I say, All these pointy headed academics, but we you know, you've seen the person, you've you've observed, and you think, Man, that is a man, that is a lot of lifestyle that person has. How in the world are they pulling it off? And inevitably they they weren't. Yeah. They weren't yeah. pulling it off. And I tell you this, when I drive around and I look at the roads we have, the infrastructure that we have, the bike paths that we have, all this stuff that we have. I'm like, this is what you can get if you're willing to have incredible amounts of debt.
2: Now we're gonna talk about implications. Now potential implications to the country, and then boil that down to you. But but I I, I do wonder, you know, how how far does this go? And I and I think about modern monetary theory and does it you know is that is is this the government's role that they should be printing money for right
0: and just just to just to get you to stick with us (laughs) for the rest of the show (laughs) this is a show about financial planning. So we're talking about the government debt, but really the question is what does this mean to me? what should i worry what can i do about it what should i what should my own personal balance sheet look like yeah so that's what we're going to get to that's those are the goodies
2: yeah that that's right and and in the meantime you know um the, what is it what's the national debt increase by in just the past year yeah that's that's 4 trillion dollars in the past 12 months and so, Houston, we do have a problem. The question is, uh, what are the potential implications? But Kevin is absolutely right. The real question is, how does this apply to you? And and, and what should you be doing about it? Should you worry? Should you should you put some protections in place, or just pay the sun shining birds a chirp and we're good? So that and more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group.
0: This is Wise Money with
2: Corhorn Financial Group. Fear is not an investment strategy. It's not. Should you be afraid or fearful or cautious of the amount of national debt that we have now, 136% of our national GDP? That's what we're talking about right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, Wise Money Show, and then everywhere you're at on social media, we are there as well. Just search the Wise Money Show. Follow us and leave comments as well. All right. So we're talking about national debt. It's reached uh, record levels, um, uh, not record low, record highs. I, I don't think I needed to clarify that. And the projections are staggering. In fact, if you look at Developed countries, and if you pool Europe together, you look at Japan um, As far as a debt-to-GDP growth rate over the next couple of years uh, We're also leading the pack in that regard as well Um, It's looking like a lot of developed countries Their debt-to-GDP is projected to start coming down in a couple of years Next year or the following, while ours is projected to continue to soar So What does this mean? What are the potential implications? Let's talk macro, which is kind of at a higher scale before we break it down to you personally. What could this mean?
1: You know, my mind always goes to the future. And um, this is true in your own personal finances. If you spend tomorrow's income right now, today, then tomorrow when you show up, you're going to have to have some sort of sacrifice in order to pay that back right now our leaders nationally are not behaving as though they have to pay back the debt or that we as a nation have to pay back the debt that we keep on borrowing but I I can I can assure you that our creditors those that lent the money to to our country are fully expecting to be paid back Mm -hmm. right and so how do you pay back debt especially at this scale to, to me at some point down the road, there's some sort of sacrifice. And th- the way that that shows up at a national level is, uh, in, in the form potentially of higher taxes or some sort of austerity, some sort of shrinking of, of lifestyle. And it's something that may be kind of forced upon you the the problem right now is every time we talk about, um, taxes, we're, we're often lowering the taxes without lowering the spending, yep. which means we're still borrowing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the same as just charging more taxes and really ramping up the spending. It's the, 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 net effect is the same that we keep on increasing our debt at some point there has to become a balanced budget. And then even a surplus where we have more tax revenue coming in that can actually be directed towards this debt.
2: So wait, you said lower in taxes and, keeping the same spending. But I mean, there's also we increase no, no. our taxes. Yeah.
0: It's so here's the thing, yeah. every every time taxes are reduced, revenue to the treasury is increased. So there there is an effect of lowering the taxes, but in conjunction with lowering the taxes, there's almost always a spending increase yeah and so this mm-hmm. this is the problem is that there's it it feels a little bit like mom and dad left for the weekend and there is a huge house party going on well, right now I mean and, okay. and no one no one no one cares it 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 truly feels like hey at a national level that no one cares that's how it feels to me I know Whoa, well, that's if, why
2: we're bringing it up and I mean this is this is where you've got now economists and several politicians saying, you shouldn't care. You're not supposed to care. This is the role of government.
0: The, I, the, the perfect picture of this to me is um, there was a time when there were three car companies in the U.S. and they kind of had this uh, uh, not a monopoly oligopoly. Am, yep. so, and they thought they're, they're, what they were doing was um, making money, not making cars. So the, the, the quality kind of suffered. But oh, throughout that time, um, the, the deals that were made with the union uh, by the executives were deals that they couldn't keep. And if you would have ever thought that General Motors would go bankrupt – you would have thought there's no way General Motors would ever go bankrupt. General Motors went bankrupt.
2: I mean, yeah, that's cri- like yeah, that's cri- like saying Amazon's going to go bankrupt, right. Apple's going to
0: go bankrupt right. again. Chrysler right. went bankrupt. The only reason why Ford didn't go bankrupt is because they did a sale lease back on all their property and they had $5 billion in cash, mm-hmm. and they were able to weather the storm. So you look at this and you say, well, uh, for all of those years, these companies were able to, uh, from all appearances, be just fine, and they were just fine right up to the point in time where they went bankrupt. Where they weren't fine. Right. So, so,
2: implications here. Pot- Josh, you mentioned potentially higher taxes. I, I mean, I think so. I actually think newer taxes as opposed to higher taxes, but in aggregate, yeah, but more taxes, okay? Um, second, potentially inflation. Now, modern monetary theory actually says the only role of taxes is to manage inflation. And I I threw up in my mouth and needed to swallow it back down. Like that is Dude, don't. craziness. <laughs> wow. Okay? That is crazy. I just got grossed out. Okay. <laughs> and so potentially inflation. And then there's this one that's been kicked around for a while. And that is that the the U.S. dollar will lose its status as reserve currency throughout the world. And uh, because our own fiat currency, which many companies, many countries are on fiat currency, right? I mean, there's no nothing backing it, but we're actually just cycling dollars through, and print, and and it's just it's it's just a big mirage. And when that happens, who is going to want U.S. dollars?
0: Yeah. And so. And so, and I I think you know, you said different taxes, which I would agree. And I mean, we've already seen that. We saw that with the SECURE Act earlier this year. And if you're not talking to your planner about that right now, you should be because that has huge financial planning ramifications. It used to be the uh, if my children inherited my IRA, they could stretch it over their lifetime. Now Mm -hmm. they've got 10 years. Well, if they only have 10 years to take the money out and pay the taxes on it, we better be looking at Whose lifetime should these taxes be paid in? Mm-hmm. Um, so different taxes that that's already happening. Yep. but I think it's got. I think we're going to have to see. Entitlement cuts.
2: I was just going to say. I mean, it's and, and I hate the word entitlements, and hate's a strong word too. But I, I,
0: but you feel entitled to use that word?
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you're talking but, about Social Security, exactly. I
0: well, Social say, Security, Medicare. Medicare. There's a lot of these these the, these social programs that are going to have to be changed. And the and the crying shame of all of this is, we had set aside this, you know, the Social Security trust fund. Well, all the money's been been borrowed out of that and spent. And it's not it's not draconian changes that would need to happen to make these be adjusted just a little bit. But I look at this and I, I say it will be draconian if we wait all, right, all the way all to the, the way crisis. to the crisis. Yeah. And then when the crisis hits, then you're saying because it, it it's taking the age that I can draw Social Security when Social Security came out you could start drawing at 62 and, and life expectancy was 63. Yeah. Well, it's no longer 63 anymore, <laughs> yeah. right? So, yeah. so if, you, if you adjusted when, when I could draw and, and they've already made it taxable. Right, which is, don't get me started. The, uh, the, the
2: entitlement cuts could come in two forms. I mean, we think, when we think cut, we think, well, so my Social Security will go down. But it could just be, you, we gotta pay more for the same Social Security. And, and I actually think that Social Security probably gets, gets too much of the attention here. Medicare is absolutely broken. And so what's another implication? We could all be paying more for Medicare in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, right? Well, be, beca- especially if we had Medicare for all for people. For
2: all people, right. Yeah. So at a, at a high level, and we didn't even get to the scary one, and that is this sort of that, that death spiral, that sort of financial Armageddon that, you know, Venezuela and some of these other countries are dealing with because modern monetary theory only works if there's demand and stability and we could. Hope is on the way. Hang on. <laughs> That's right. All right. So we've got more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group.
0: This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group.
2: All right. It should be worried about the overall national debt. And really, what does this, what does it mean to you? We've, we've been enough belly aching. We're now going to apply. What does this mean to you? That's what we're talking about right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. If you're in a podcast, Wise Money Show is on podcast every single episode, wherever you're at. Spotify, iTunes is where I still listen. Go check it out. Just search Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Subscribe to it and do me a favor, rate the show as well. We appreciate that. All right. So national debt to big, it's a big deal, it's a big number. Do you even need to worry? That's what we've been talking about. But do you need to do anything? That, yes. that's what that's what the wise money show is about. It's about financial planning, helping you take your next wise step, apply what's happening in the world. So do you need to apply anything here?
0: Absolutely. Okay. Yes, so I would I would challenge you anytime you feel worried about your financial life, you you it's time to have some contemplative time and stop and say, "What why am I worried? Why am I Concerned, what is this thing that is bothering me? And so you say, well, it's bothering me that the politicians in Washington took the national debt in the last 18 months up another uh, four trillion. It's bothering me that the Fed's balance sheet went from 800 million in 2008 to seven and a half billion. Eight hundred million trillion. Trillion. Okay. Trillion. Add, feel add three like, zeros to each of those. I feel like a presidential candidate here, <laughs> scr- <laughs> scrambling with numbers. If you know what I am saying, so um, so yes. anyway, yeah, billion trillion, yes, billion trillion. <laughs> you know the thing. So um, so seven seven trillion uh, from eight hundred million in two thousand eight to seven trillion, and every time the Fed seems to be pulling back just a little bit, the market drops like a rock. Yeah. And so you say that does not. Um, if that doesn't make you nervous, it maybe it should. Maybe you should have a momentum strategy with a cell discipline in it as you look at your investments. But, but I would say even more so than that, it's, it's kind of like as a, as a Christian, I've been taught to hate my own sin the most. Right? I can look around and see what other people are doing and say, I can't believe Josh is doing that. And why is Mike doing it? I, know I need to hate my own sin the most. And if you're worried about debt, hate your own debt the yeah. most. Yeah. worry about your own personal balance sheet the most because that is what you have immediate direct control over you can as soon as you're done listening to all the negativity that we've spewed you can sit down with mm-hmm. a pencil and a piece of paper and start working on a plan for your own debt and i you know i'll tell you i met with some folks this week and they said you know 15 years ago, we listened to Dave Ramsey, and we just started doing what he's doing. And I look at their balance sheet, and it is astounding. So it's just, it's just taking the next right step in your financial life. And it's, it's amazing because the, um, people underestimate the power of small steps, some people call them baby steps, whatever you want to call them. But these these small steps that you take, the next right step in your financial life, there it is incredibly empowering. And most of us don't have the capacity to focus on the horrible negativity of the national debt and our own personal balance sheet at the same time. That's right. So
1: if you're going to pick one, you pick your own house to get in order. Come right? on. And if, if our country doesn't seem to have a plan for its debt, your own personal plan for your debt begins with first of all just taking inventory of where you stand you have to know that number yeah right we're you know every once in a while we zoom in on the national debt and we all as mike says throw up in the back of our mouth a little bit it's growing crazy okay (laughs) that that (laughs) illustration
0: (laughs) has been banished from the radio show forever we don't talk about (laughs) numbers on the radio show or that (laughs) or vomit ah
2: (laughs) The, no, J- it, Josh, you said something a while ago, and I I know, I, you pick pick back up your thought after this, but it was maybe in, even in our first year. When I talk about this, this spiral, this debt or death spiral, that's happening, maybe happening at the government level, but you, you are one good choice away from an upward spiral in your financial yes, life. Yeah. You mm-hmm. are. And that one good choice could be made today.
1: That's right. And, and that's the perfect segue into exactly what I was going to share, that it, your, your plan for your own debt begins with taking inventory of what you have, but then also having a cash flow plan. Because yes. getting out of that debt, eliminating mm-hmm. it once and for all, and having a game plan to avoid it in the future has never been more important. Because it, essentially, as you're getting your house in order, unfortunately, our government is borrowing more money for you. And if that may somehow, you you may feel that obligation either in the form of more taxes or or, or lost benefits or something like that, then you need to make up the, the you need to build the solution for that right now. Yeah. And, and that's by you having your own financial strength beefed up before crisis hits at a national level and trickles down to a personal level.
2: All right. So if we potentially could see, I'm just going to make some quick applications. Potentially could see higher uh, higher taxes. Yep. Make sure that you're saving into tax-sheltered investments, possibly advantage Roth. If we could see higher inflation, make sure you're investing in assets that tend to outpace inflation, i.e. the stock market. And if we... Um, oh, what was the other thing I was going to say?
0: I can't remember.
2: Oh, yeah. And if... If we could see reduced entitlements, as Kevin Corhorn said, reduced entitlements, make sure that you're building up your own nest egg to possibly offset any adjustment cuts that could come Yeah, those. My
0: concern with what's just happened with the coronavirus and everything else is that it, it kind of trains people to say, hey, I, I, could, I can be more dependent upon the government. And so the 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 new lawnmower money that just came in the mail, um, I'm just going to trust the government's going to keep sending that. Well, I you know, the the if a leader's job is to define reality, you you look at your family and say, hey, we don't have the money to go to Disney this year. We're not going. Um, The government has not said that. Because instead of a collective belt tightening, and this is the problem when it's, it's because it's all political. There are huge conflicts, and there are huge incentives, uh, 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 kind of moral. Um, I can't even think of the hazards. Really. Yes, mor- yeah. yes, moral hazards to do the wrong thing. There are more. It seems as though there are more incentives to do the wrong thing than the right thing Yeah, the moment that you start
1: taking steps down that path of greater government dependency, you're you're signing up for someone else having control over what your lifestyle in the future is going to be. Yeah. And that is the exact opposite of what, you know, we're trying to persuade you to pursue in your financial life. We, we want you building a plan so that you have maximum control in the future, maximum opportunities and options and choice. And you only do that if you maintain dependency upon your own
0: planning and your own preparation and not the government. Yeah, and that's that's a risk right now, right? So I'm going to pay cash for my kid's education, and I think, man, should we should I be encouraging them to get loans? Because if all student loans are going to get wiped out, they should have loans. And I think, that is stinking thinking. Right? Mm -hmm. Do not ever go down that path. Be independent of the government. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: so if it's possible, we get into crises in the future because of what's happening right now. So Kevin mentioned a momentum strategy, and you know, should you fear? Fear is not an investment strategy. So if you hear this and you have uh, that, what would what, would you say, Kevin? That throw up in the back of your mouth, and you ah! you're, tempted, <laughs> you're tempted to put all your money in cash, all your investments in cash. Have a momentum strategy. Contact your certified financial planner. Contact us about how to how to manage risk in this unique environment. So
0: that might be your first your first wise step.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. We've got uh, questions from fans of the show and a lot more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group.
0: This is Wise Money with Corehorn
1: Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First
2: State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. If you've missed anything on today's episode, gosh, it was a complain fest. All we did, complain <laughs> complain about government debt. No, I'm just kidding. There was some optimism, but gosh, this whole thing with with government debt, it is, it's it's emotional. So if you missed anything, I mean, specifically the numbers and the data, but then what what does this mean to you? Every episode of the show is on the YouTube channel. So go there, go to YouTube, search Wise Money Show, subscribe to it, and, uh, and leave comments here. We get lots of questions there as well. So all right, uh, let's, let's transition to questions from fans of the show. We've got, we've got a handful here specifically that relate to, to debt and so on. First one's from David and Niles. How should we advise our recent college graduate on the amount he could afford to spend on a house? He's been living at home and has saved up about $55,000. Is that amazing? Wow. Since he's working full-time and has such small expenses. Well, here's an idea, David. Start charging your son <laughs> rent.
1: Yeah. It looks like he can <laughs> afford it.
2: I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. Wow. That's that's fabulous. Someone, um, that, I love that. That's proactive. Yeah, that is
1: proactive. There's got to be a, a proactive story there, not just that you know, he's living at home and saving so aggressively while, while working full time. But uh, I, I'm assuming that there's no student loans here, right? Otherwise, you know, I, I would presume that he's, he, if you're living at home for a year or two after graduating from college and your your parents are kind of giving you a, a safe place to land and just stabilize your, yourself financially, Getting aggressive, attacking that student loan debt, um, could just set you up for so much freedom in your financial life. Especially if, if the next phase of life, the next you know transition point that you're going to encounter is is maybe getting married and, and starting oh, yeah. a family or something. Uh, we we don't know based on David's um, short question here whether his son is is looking at marriage or or whatever, but you know, the, the fact that you've given him um, essentially sort of a safe harbor to, to kind of get himself established in life is amazing. And and I don't know, maybe, maybe you've already done even more than that by helping get him through school without a whole lot of debt. But you, you talk about amazing advantages to give to your kids. Um, unfortunately, that's that's not a common thing, right? Like this yeah. this is an unusual story. but so so how do you decide how much house to afford? You know the the questions that I would start asking as opposed to statements or recommendations directly, are, uh, yeah, is there any additional debt that needs to be wiped out first? Mm-hmm. before you go sign up for another <laughs> another loan, a mortgage or whatever. Um, can you free up cash flow and and solidify the foundation in your life? To me, part of that foundation includes also an emergency fund. Because the moment that you buy a house, you've just signed up for a whole new list of potential emergencies that he doesn't have right now.
2: And and on top of that, you signed up for a whole new list of must-dos or want-to-dos, buy a new lawnmower, uh, change, get rid of the orange countertop in the bathroom. You know, <laughs> so so not only the emergency fund. Uh, hey, squirrels just chewed through the roof, but also okay. a a a to do list of financial. Um, I don't know. I, I it's not obligations, but desires. So short term goals for a delayed spending list as well, That's which right. is the 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 mix between, well, it's not an emergency. I can plan ahead for this. I know, I know when it's going to come and it's not a monthly expense either. So, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the key is looking at how much of this cash really can't go towards a house because it needs to stay for emergencies or might need to stay for short-term goals connected with the house or expenses connected with the house. That's right.
1: You know, part of uh, being a, a new homeowner is picking up some new skills as well. You know, there, there may just be some house maintenance type things or maybe even some remodeling type things that he would want to begin to learn how to do. So you, you got to also figure out, well, what's your vision for a house? Yeah. You know, is this a truly a starter home? Is it a, is it a fixer-upper? Um, the temptation that many college students would have when they're getting out on their own, when they picture a house, whose house are they picturing? probably mom and dads, mm-hmm. right? They want something similar. You know, they, they want that house in the country or they want a little bit of acreage or boy, I sure love that swimming pool growing up and I, I need to have that right now, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and so you, you have all these amenities and, and the wish list starts growing, the price tag grows with it. And before you know it, um, in order to try to achieve what your parents achieved over the course of decades, you may overextend yourself and reach too far um, for more house than really what your first purchase should be.
2: And, and if you've ever heard the phrase, uh, get started early, locking yourself up in an overextended house commitment is the exact opposite of that. And so you got to be very careful. One of one of our all star uh, CFPs on our team, Amy Masters, uh, she's, uh, she's, maternity leave right now and we're so thrilled uh for amy and austin but amy was on the show oh a couple years ago and talked about how we were talking about cash flow management and she said your housing decision is one of the most important decisions you make early in life because that's going to put you in a position where you're either struggling to keep up or you've got lots of margin to do a lot of things let me say that a little bit differently so david your son first needs to figure out how much of this 55,000 can actually go towards a house and maybe not all of it. But next, the amount that can go towards the down payment of the house, you wanna see, can that be 20% of the value of the house? 20% is a magic percentage when you're doing home ownership because that's the amount, that's the amount of down payment or equity that you'd need to have in the house to avoid an extra expense, an extra charge, an extra fee from the bank. This fee is called PMI, makes it sound really innocent, but it's an extra cost that you would pay to the bank for taking the risk because you don't have a lot of equity. If you have 20% equity or a 20% down payment, you avoid that cost, which means more money can stay in your pocket, can go on the debt. Um, so, so that's the first thing that I would look at. Once you isolate, how much of this cash can go towards a mortgage? Can the down payment equal 20% of the house? And then second, can that mortgage payment equal 25% or less of your take-home pay? Those are the two sort of... uh, filters that I would use. Does it have to be exactly 25%? Well, Dave Ramsey says 25% for a 15-year loan. I say 15-year loan, that's that's just a leverage decision. Mm-hmm. I, it, The reason why I would want your house payment at 25%, maybe 30% on the high end of your take-home is that that's a fixed obligation. Rain or shine, raise or demotion, um, pandemic or not, that's the mortgage you've got to pay. Right. And if you don't have at least 75% of extra cushion in your cash flow, it's going to be hard for you to do the other things in your financial life that you're going to want to do.
1: That's right. And you know what, what Mike was just sharing is sort of a rule of thumb. It is a far more conservative approach than what the bank will offer you. Mm. If, if you're looking at a banker to tell you how much you can borrow – Oh my goodness! You you need to take their numbers and discount them substantially because they will let you borrow and enslave yourself to to the lender um, far more than what you would ever feel comfortable with, right? So you know don't borrow the thirty five percent or or have a payment that's thirty five percent of your take home pay like a a banker would say. Mm-hmm. Stick to that twenty five percent number. Yep. Um, the other thing to just keep in mind is to not rush into home ownership too quickly. Um, you know, unless your son is very confident that he knows exactly the community that he wants to live in and where he's going to put down roots and really establish himself in his career uh, until he knows what his new patterns are going to be, you know, where, where is he going to do his shopping? Where are all his friends going to be located? Um, how close is he to, to his work? Um, you know, the, the risk is that maybe geographically the house that he would pick isn't actually in the right location. Mm. And the last thing you wanna do is buy a great great house, a fixer upper even, and then have to be flipping it or selling it a few years later just because it wasn't the right house or the right location. Yeah, that's
2: right. Great question, David. And it certainly sounds like your son is on the right track. So hopefully that helps. Hey, I'm going to skip skip down to a question we got in an email. It's a little uh, it's a little out there. I don't know how much time we'll, we'll spend, but uh, the email said, hey, good afternoon. I enjoy watching the Wise Money Show. Appreciate that. I was wondering if you guys would consider doing a segment on opportunity zone funds from what I hear could be a, a potential tax saving strategy, avoiding capital gains. Are there, you know, Are they legitimate investments and what is the risk really worth it so opportunity zone funds this is this is basically a government has has um carved out an area of the community that they want to intentionally build up and i absolutely love that idea um going looking at your city landscape and saying this is an area we want to attract investments and build up And um, and so one of the ways that they look to attract investments is to offer some tax advantages and some tax um, tax I mean capital gain uh, deferral and avoidance on some of these. Here's the challenge. So I love it, and I love it specifically for folks that have a very sizable net worth and you can make an investment directly into one of these without getting yourself overextended. You wanna make sure you're still diversified and if the thing doesn't work out that well um, that you haven't lost all of this money. So if you have a very sizable net worth, I think it makes a lot of sense. If you don't have a very sizable net worth and want to do good and want to receive some of these tax benefits, the way to just dabble right now, unfortunately, is through what are called Limited partnerships and, la- and and master limited partnerships, um, there's, they don't have a structure that, from what I've seen. Now, it may be coming in the future because I think there's a lot of this wanting to do good in the community and these funds and tax benefits do, uh, help with that. But I haven't seen this come to the exchange-traded fund or the mutual fund space. I've seen it come in what are called structured products, which is a limited partnership or master limited partnership, which are extremely expensive – and are rife with conflicts
1: right and the whole idea is that you're kind of passing through to the end investor a bunch of tax savings and you know it it feels a little too similar in in my mind to some of the old limited partnerships that existed there's a whole generation of investors out there who got burned on limited partnerships not because there's something inherently bad with them but there were some real estate deals done back in the 80s that basically we're offering some substantial tax savings, and then all of a sudden Congress changed the rule book yep. and the goodness of these investments just completely went away, like almost overnight.
2: Yeah, so what happened if there was a regime change here and something else happened and either a better tax advantage was created, something better than opportunity zones came out, or some of the laws were changed with opportunity zones and you've got money tied up in something that's now gone flat? And within Master Limited Partnerships, it's just... It's just a significant amount of risk. So I love it. If you have sizable net worth and it can be a palatable investment, probably not for small investors. So, all right. Thanks for the question. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Kevin Corhorn, Josh Gregory, and all of us at KFG, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group.